text for this morning. If you wouldn't mind standing once again, it's behind me. And uh, like all things in the service, where you see the bold text, you're invited to respond together. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. And he, that's Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. The Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect? Who cried in day and night, Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. I don't know if any of you are stand-up comedy fans. Uh, there are a lot of comedy routines that I've heard about what we say versus what we actually mean. Like euphemisms. For example, if you come over to my house and I say, this place is a mess. What I really mean is, this is the cleanest this house has been in a year. And there's a lot of comedy gold here. There's a writer, though, named Devin Price who wrote a list of them in an article last year during the pandemic um, about what we say versus what we actually mean. And they're kind of funny, but they're too painful to laugh at much. And they pertain to life, as I said, over the past year. Here are some of them, here are some of them now. What we say, I've got Zoom fatigue. Some of you have said this who have an office job, but you've been working for um, I've got too much street, uh, screen time, or I've got too much Zoom fatigue. That's what we say. Here's what we mean. What we really mean is, I'm being forced to sit attentively for hours at my desk, moving my mouse just frequently enough not to prompt an alert by my company's activity tracker, while terrifying news alerts flash in the periphery of my vision. What we really call doom-scrolling that phrase doom scrolling, I'm not that savvy. I know what doom scrolling is. I'd explain it to one of you. I forget who it was this past week. We say I've been doom scrolling. Here's what we really mean. What I really mean is the poisoned algorithms of my favorite social media apps are helping everyone I know to constantly broadcast their trauma and panic. And my only means of exercising any control over an unpredictable reality is by consuming more and more of it. That's what we really mean. One more. What we say is, these are uncertain times. What we really mean is, I have lost all hope for the future, or even the ability to imagine a future. And I no longer have the emotional lifeline that having something to look forward to can provide. I only have the desperate desire to not be among the people who will suffer the most. And that is 
resonates with somebody you know if it doesn't resonate with you. There were a lot of articles out this week that use words like dystopian, refugees, hurricanes, in addition to pandemic, and national conflict, and political strife, and family strife, and church strife, which were exhausted
Jesus says, and will not God give justice to his elect to the private day of your sister? Will he delay it longer? I tell you, he will give justice to them soon. What's going on? Is Jesus comparing God, the Father, to an unrighteous judge? No, actually, he's contrasting God the Father with an unrighteous judge. It's similar to what we looked at last week. It's about how much more are you like last week? You know, if, if, if a neighbor wakes up and a neighbor who's all right and gets the rules, you kind of just shut them up and say, okay. If you are evil, you and your neighbor with the needs just shut them up and get them to get out of here. How much more do you love your father who doesn't give you anything? I believe you can look at me. Same thing. God's not an unrighteous judge. He's a good judge. And he's a loving father. You get an unrighteous, evil judge to say, fine, here's some justice for you. You came to what you found out you needed. How much more should you give to your sister who's with your father, who's generously Persistently, repetitively. Three things that are so important to you. Persistently. 
dissatisfaction with life station, not having the job you want, or your singleness, or your struggle with greed, or anger, or, or whatever, could it possibly be that he wants you to learn to fight for holiness while you keep praying persistently? Could it be because he wants you to be a testimony to your friends that he is better than the desire of your hearts? Could it be that he wants you to understand him more fully and to know him more intimately through wrestling with this issue? Because often when there's no wrestling, wrestling and things come easy, we forget him as soon as we receive what we want. Is that possible in your life? Is it possible that any unanswered prayer in your life, that's been why? Could it be because he wants you to stand in glory one day, fully aware of how little you deserve to be there? A testimony to his grace, not your willpower. Some of those fit. Maybe they don't. I don't know why your prayers haven't been answered. I have no idea. But some of these reasons are very true in the Bible a lot. And may be true for you as well. Keep waiting, he says. Keep persisting, and I will bless you. Like Jacob wrestling all night until he's blessed by God. Thirdly, you're caring, you're waiting. Thirdly, you're hoping. It's not the same as caring. You can care and stop hoping. I think this is where our generation is truly lost, and I'm going to end here but like I began. I think that, uh, for us there are at least two hope killers, things that we tend to start doing that kill our hope and move us toward despair. First, when you look at what's really going on in the world, it's overwhelming and it's really hard not to just shut it down, throw away the newspaper, put your phone down, or just turn it to the NFL app and just start ignoring. Just ignore what's going on in the world. It's really hard not to. Like, who has the stamina to take in everything that's going on in the world, which is kind of being thrown at us all the time through social media and other media? But it's the wrong direction. Ignoring is not what we're called to. It's one thing we do. It's difficult not to, but it's wrong. The second hope killer is we say, okay, the world needs a savior. His name's John Alexander. I'm going to take the, the world's problems and then these other problems and me and maybe my close circle of friends, we're going to solve it. We're going to solve it by our screaming or our protesting, both of which are completely valid in some cases. There's things worth screaming about or protesting. And we're going to solve it. We're going to act our way to a solution and bring some hope to this God-forsaken world. That's equally a bad idea when it's not preceded and then accompanied by prayer. Ignoring is the wrong way. Taking care of it on our own is the wrong way. What's the right way? There's a monk, 20th century monk, who spent all of the wars of the 20th century in prayer. His name was Sophroni Sakharov. And when he taught on prayer to his brothers in the monastery, and they said to him, you know, what are your strategies for prayer other than teaching them the Lord's Prayer? He said, what you have to do is, there's a very powerful phrase, Keep your mind in hell and despair not. Let me explain what he means. By keep your mind in hell, he means don't turn away from the hell on earth that we behold. 
You've abandoned your vocation if you turn away from it. Keep your mind there. It breaks through. I mean, if hell is the true and total abandonment of God to evil only, there are breakthroughs of it in this world. I mean, where it truly feels like there are God's God-forsaken circumstances and places. It's not ultimately true. Not yet, praise God, but it feels that way. And he's like, keep your mind right there. Don't abandon it. You're here as the body of Christ to intercede for it. Keep your mind in hell and despair not. And we're like, well, how do we do that? And he said, and this gives me some hope. Well, focus on it in prayer as much as you can and then take a step back and have some tea. (laughs) And then go to work again in community. Let me give a couple applications here. What is he saying for the 21st century man and woman who's trying to pray? We are called to be people who see all, or as much as God enables us to see, all of the political, social, environmental, and medical disasters of our day and ignore none of them. And we're called to bring them to our strong God before we take action, and once we take action, while we take action and despair not along the way. You'll never run out of things to pray for. The evil in this world is constant. Your need is constant and greater than you know. But it is possible, and the people I respect most in this world can stare at those things and have an unshaken hope that all is not lost and there is no hell that God can't save us from. These are real human beings. Some of them are in this room. And some days I don't know if I know anything about it. But I I read a sermon from Easter 2020 that was spoken to a prison right after a bunch of prison riots related to the pandemic. And I mean, the world of prisons in 2020 were nuts, if you can imagine. And someone shared me these last few paragraphs of a sermon, and I want to read it to you as something, as a place where our hearts can hang out when we're taking in all the evils around us and trying not to despair. Here are the last few paragraphs of that sermon. Hope is what is left after everything else has failed us. After we've tried optimism and virtue and piety and denial and just trying harder and none of that's worked, what's left is hope. And that is Easter hope. It's the kind of hope that's still standing after being dredged through Good Friday first where the Son of God is murdered. Easter hope is the kind that's still standing after economic collapse, after global pandemics, after prison lockdowns, after systemic racism. And when it comes down to it, as cynical as I am, I still want that hope. I want a hope that doesn't disappoint. I want a gritty hope, a hope that can come only from a God who has experienced birth, love, friendship, lepers, prostitutes, betrayal, suffering, death, and burial, and a descent into hell itself. Only a God who has borne this suffering 
can bring us any real hope of resurrection. And that's our faith. I believe that faith in this kind of God doesn't produce cheerful optimism. It produces gritty, defiant hope that God is still writing the story. And that despite the darkness, light still shines. God can redeem us. Beauty matters. And that despite every disappointing thing we have ever done or that we have ever endured, there's no hell from which resurrection is impossible. Let me give you a, a one-line summary of all that from our friend Jim, Jim Bergvall. When we say Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again at the end of every service, how would we live if we believed that that were real and not pretend? It's kind of that simple, right? If that's real and not pretend, we're a people who can endure absolutely everything, and increasingly as we're conformed to the image of Christ, not turn away, not throw away the newspaper, not say, good luck, planet. We're going into our own little commune. And the rest of you all can go to hell. That's not our faith. We can keep our minds there. But never lose heart. It's, I swear it's possible. And it's our calling. In the words of Paul, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him give us all things graciously? But do we care enough to ask? Will we wait like an extra 10 minutes after the answer is, well, it doesn't come yet? Will we hold on to hope? And when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And with that, as I had the last few weeks, I want to invite up Carol Davis, who's our spiritual director in residence here, to give a few charges for our own prayer life before we go into communion. Carol. Well, we've all felt the sting of an unanswered prayer, haven't we? When it seems that God is uh, silent to our cries. And as we've heard this morning, in this powerful picture of persisting in prayer, God's calling for us is to keep on praying. Knowing that this is God's calling is actually a comfort and it gives me hope. And you know why? That's because I don't know about God's will on a lot of things. But here it is. It's actually quite clear. He wants me to keep on praying. And so this lifts my weariness a little bit and it helps me to persist because I see that my persisting is not nagging and that my persisting is somehow important to God even as my need is important to me. He wants a relationship with me and he knows that I'm helpless without him and the persisting shows me my helplessness and pushes me to, to seek him more and more. And you know what? It's not, his not answering prayer is not a punishment. And he's not trying to show me he doesn't love me. 
And as we heard from that beautiful quote from J.D. Greer, there's other purposes in his delaying an answer. But what keeps me from asking? What specific prayers have I stopped asking for? And what have you stopped asking for and why? In this first time of quiet, we want to bring that to the Lord and ask the Lord to show him what's going on in our heart. Why have we stopped asking? And also ask the Lord to show us what's going on in his heart for us. And I'll keep the quiet again and draw us to another, uh, say amen, and then draw us to another uh, question to be asking him. Amen. In this next time of quiet, if you can, bring one of those prayers that you've stopped asking him. Now, if you're not at that place yet, maybe in the quiet you can continue to ask him to show his heart to you, what his heart is like for you.
Amen. Now, finally, please come up after communion, and there'll be people over here to pray with you. And if you're not coming to communion, you, you can just come down that right aisle. We want to pray with you because maybe some of those prayers that are hard for you to pray by yourself, having someone pray for you and with you in that prayer may start you to be able to begin to pray again. So we want to help you in that. Thank you.